One of my favorite shows. Oh, I thanks. love that show. TGIF. Good morning, everyone. Friday, finally, the weekend is here. It is? Oh, well, not here yet, but it's almost here. Not close enough. I don't know. In that case. Who's ready to party? Let's get this party started. It's showtime. Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. The madness has officially begun. I mean, honestly, the madness for the high school kids started a couple weeks ago. We've had a lot of high school champions crowned, but it's March 1st. The college games are getting crazy. The leap year games were crazy yesterday, February 29th. We get that once every four years. Uh, there were some wild basketball games yesterday. Um, couple of blowouts at the Huntsman Center, which is uh, really busy. I mean, how many basketball games are they playing up there? What is I think it's like 16 games in five days with the high school tournaments and the colleges. They've got the four state title games there today, five, boys, boys and girls, 5A and 6A. Um, so that goes from like 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. tonight. They'll have all those games. They're all on TV. They're all streaming. You can get them wherever you want if you're not going up there uh, to see a little basketball in person. Um, they were there on Tuesday and Wednesday with semifinals for 5A and 6A boys and girls. And so the youths fit uh, double headers in because the men and women are both home this week. What a crazy batch of scheduling that is. Uh, they had a doubleheader yesterday, and they got a doubleheader tomorrow. Uh, for the Utah men, they just they handled Stanford pretty, pretty decisively. At the start of the game was uh, Davion Smith. He went up there. Davion Smith had... 13 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists. He gets the triple-double, and Utah rolls. For the women, Kennedy McQueen uh, tied a career high with 22, and they were up by like 15 points after one quarter and ended up winning the game by 15. They beat Washington State. So for the men, it's uh, check the boxes. Beating Stanford's not a big deal, but losing to the Stanford would be a killer, so you got to win the game. Uh, you know, for them, it's all about a late-season push here and find a way to get in the tournament. You're in the first four out, and we haven't gotten to conference tournaments and bid thieves, which just is more teams to crawl over, you know, trying to get in the NCAA tournament. So they got their work cut out for them now. But they win. They improve to 17-11. They ought to beat Cal tomorrow night. That ought to move them to 18-11. and 11. And then they'll go off to the Oregon schools, which that ought to either be a split or a sweep. I don't know what they'll do at Oregon. Uh, that would be a really good road win for them if they can get it. Oregon State, they just they have to beat Oregon State. They're terrible. Uh, for the Utah women, they're in. They're just trying to – right now, most people have them projected as a five seed. And if you get to four, you get to host. And if you stay at five, you're probably going to win your first-round game, and then you're probably going to have to play the four seed in a true road game in their second game in the tournament to get the Sweet 16. The youths would much rather be at home. So got to take care of business against Washington tomorrow to check the box. They ought to win that game and then off to the conference tournament. And we've got basketball tonight. Utah State. Uh, playing Air Force. Three games left in the Mountain West season. And if Utah State wins those three games, they will, at worst, tie Boise State for the regular season title. And they got the tiebreaker. They'll be the one seed because they beat the Broncos twice head-to-head. Might as well finish first, raise the banner, all that kind of stuff, feel good, and uh, and give yourself a little easier path, at least a winnable quarterfinal game that you really ought to handle somebody. Once you get to the semis in the Mountain West, this league's six, maybe seven teams deep. I don't think Colorado State can win the tournament, but I think on any given night they might upset somebody. So I assume they'll end up being the seventh seed. So that's what the two seed gets is the Rams, who can be difficult, as uh, as the Aggies know. Um so, stay in that top spot. Beat Air Force tonight. They ought to handle them at home. 
I know they just got the scare on the road of Fresno State, but man, at the Spectrum, you really think that'll take care. Take care and get the W. That's like 9 o'clock tonight, FS1. It's a late game. And then there's BYU. They are back at it tomorrow, coming off that uh, big win over Kansas, and we'll have a full uh, full slate of Saturday games. And I ought to give Weber State a shout-out. They also won last night. They beat Northern Colorado, and they beat them in overtime. And they had the lead with like four minutes to go, and Northern Colorado went on a run. And in the final 30 seconds, Weber State went on a 6-0 run and didn't use a three-pointer. Free throws and layups. And Dylan Jones tied the game up with a few seconds left. He had a massive game. The guy had 30 points. He had 23 rebounds and 9 assists. He just barely missed the triple-double. He was outrageously good, and he's just carrying them as he has most of this year. And they've now won seven of the last eight games. In overtime, they got down. Northern Colorado opened up with an 8-2 to run, but Weber State closed the game with a 12-2 to run and came back to win in overtime. So they're now in a three-way tie for second place in the big sky. So good win, good win for Weber State. And then there is your Utah Jazz. So the Jazz went to Orlando, and they got beat. And honestly, if they played this well against Atlanta, maybe they would have won the game. Who knows? Uh, It was much better. It was competitive. Uh, For a while, it looked like they might get blown out. Late second quarter, they got down 13, but they answered with an 11-0 run to close the half. And they were down just two at the break. And the game was tight. They they tied it up. Taylor Hendricks uh, hit a three with like six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, these are really small victories. But, man, the Jazz have lost seven of the last eight games. So you got to find something, right? And so Hendricks is getting to play in the fourth quarter of an NBA game. He's done with the G League stuff. And he had a big three to tie the game with six minutes to go. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't really mean anything. But for him, I'll bet it felt like a big moment. And, you know, the question's about how consistent can he be shooting the three. So he hit a corner three in the fourth quarter of an NBA game. Good for him, right? It's a step forward. Um, and Markinen had a dunk to tie the game at 99 with like five minutes to go. And it was 104-103 with about three minutes to go. And Suggs hit three straight three-pointers. And it went from 101-100. He hit, he hit to get him to 104 to 107 to 110. <laughs> BK was just talking about, yeah, I really thought he'd be a better pro. You know, he's kind of nondescript. It's not that he's been a bust, but he, you know, he hasn't been a breakout star either. And uh, he was, you know, he went in the first half of the lottery. But, man, with the game on the line against the Jazz, I think PK spoke it into existence. He goes out and hits three three-pointers in the last three or four minutes and wins the game. So 115-107, the Jazz get beat. We will get to the best of the post-game show. That is coming up next. I think I covered most of the basketball. Weber State wins. Utah State men and women win. Uh, Aggies are playing tonight. Four high school state championship games at the Huntsman Center tonight. They're all streamed. They're all on TV, so you can watch them wherever you want if you're not going up there. Tons of basketball. Jazz are off to Miami next to wrap up the road trip and then home for a very winnable game with the Washington Wizards. There ought to be a win out there somewhere. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the uh, Jazz postgame show and next, Scotty G. Also, we got those two things on the way. Stay with us. We'll get to the postgame show next and then Scotty G right here on The Zone. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Well, 
It was a better effort from the Jazz. wasn't enough. They got beat in Orlando, but it was a tie game with about five minutes to go. So much better than that 27-point blowout in Atlanta. Much improved there. But still not enough. Orlando, who, who is the better team at this point without question? Orlando plays, uh, plays a little better in the last five minutes, and they get the win. Here is the best of the postgame show. True Jazz recap here on DJ and PK 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz fell last night to the Magic in Orlando, 115 to 107. The Jazz had five players in double figures last night, three with 19 points. John Collins with 19 and 10. Colin Sexton with 19. Keontae George with 19 to go along with nine assists. Lowry with 18. And Taylor Hendricks with 10 points and seven rebounds. But the Jazz short uh, against the Magic. Paolo Bancaro with 29. Jalen Suggs with 15, including three threes in a row in the final three minutes to put the game out of hand for Orlando. Let's get to the postgame sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Will Hardy. Overall, like, really pleased with the effort of the team. I thought the second half... um, we adjusted defensively as a group, did a much better job protecting the paint. Um, they only had 22 paint points in the second half, and we put ourselves in a position to win the game. Um, that's where we want to be, two minutes left, one-point game. Um, and I felt like down the stretch there were obviously a couple of plays that just didn't go our way. I thought Keontae drove and maybe got fouled. Um, they came down, um, and Suggs ends up hitting a three on the underneath out of bounds. We go back the other way. Lowry gets a good look from three and misses. And, you know, this is the one possession of the game where I just feel like it shows an area of growth that we need to, to reach, which is it's a four-point game, minute five left, and Bancaro gets the ball in the post, and we're disorganized. Um, Keontae is kind of waiting on the baseline and goes to help from the baseline side, which is not something we talked about at all for tonight. And I understand Keontae is trying to make a play, and that's just kind of where he was on the floor. But I think in that moment as a team, we've got to do a better job of recognizing that being down four with a minute and five is a very winnable game. We just need to stay focused in that moment and execute what we want to do. And, you know, credit to Orlando. Like, they played a good game. Jalen Suggs made some threes late, which can happen in an NBA game. But I think that one possession for me is is just a kind of a display of, like, we're close in terms of being at a place where we're thinking as a group. Um, and I felt like, you know, that possession just kind of being disorganized defensively. Suggs makes a three. Now you're down seven, and it's a totally different story. Um, but overall, I thought the team played really hard. Um, you know, we didn't finish well in the paint at all in the first half. Uh, I don't think we were physical enough driving the ball. Um, we weren't physical enough around the basket. I thought, again, the team adjusted in the second half, and we were able to get to the free throw line some um, and finish much better in the paint. But, you know, our, our team is is close from a, you know, a mental standpoint. I think they're, they're understanding how they fit together a little bit better. Um, and we're continuing to grow as a group. Coach, you did have all five starters with uh, double digits there. You had mentioned the spots where you need to grow, but what growth? It's always better to get see growth in a win, obviously. But mm-hmm. What growth did you see tonight? All five starters, including uh, young man and Taylor, getting a double digits with the best show offensively for the growth of the team this season. Yeah, I mean, I thought 
you know, the, the first group did a pretty good job of adjusting to the physicality of the game and moving the ball. Um, you know, guys found ways to score um, that were unique to them. Um, you know, I thought Colin at the end of the third quarter did a good job in the bonus of attacking, getting to the free throw line. We put Keontae in a lot of pick and rolls tonight. I thought he made a lot of good decisions. Um, you know, Lowry shot the ball well from three, but I think if you ask Lowry, he's a little frustrated with some of his finishing, especially in the first half around the basket. But, um, you know, Taylor did a good job with his spacing. His teammates found him. He knocked down a couple of threes, but I think, you know, he'll feel good about. Um, it was a balanced effort by the first group. Um, and that's that's who we have to be. We are not a team that's um, built around one person. And we don't have one guy that we give the ball to and tell everybody else to get out of the way. We, we play a style where there's a lot of different people involved. We try to mix it up offensively based on who we're playing and what the matchups are. Um, and so seeing a balanced effort like that to me just means like the team is doing a good job of communicating during the game what we're trying to execute. Um, and they're moving the ball well. I thought he was okay. Um, you know, I think Paolo, that's the first player that he's guarded with that level of physicality. Um, Paolo really punishes you if you're not good with your with your feet and your angles aren't clean. Um, you know, Taylor got beat baseline a few times in the fourth quarter, which, um, you know, it, it wasn't that Taylor did anything terrible but again when you're playing against really good players that have that type of physicality you have to be airtight um, on your body position I think Taylor competes every single night like that's the part for me that's um, gives me a lot of hope for him because I know that when he goes in the game he's going to give maximum effort he makes energy plays um, his length and athleticism seem to show up um, in every game but I think that there's a lot for him to learn from this game because I don't anticipate that, you know, Taylor's going to have a physical strength advantage on every player that he guards from here on out. And that takes a little bit different technique. Yeah, I think he's getting more and more comfortable. Um, you know, he's taken a, like I talked about pregame, he's taken a big leap in terms of his responsibility. You're in the G League for most of the year and then you're a starter. And you know, he he's a kid that wants to win. He wants to help. He's very coachable. He lets me coach him hard. Um, but I think you're seeing him settle in a little bit in terms of he's he slowed down some. I felt like he was a little sped up his first couple of games. Um, when he got the ball, he was a little bit frantic in terms of maybe not recognizing our spacing quick enough. But I think he's done a really good job of settling in, which um, – you know, I, I expect from Taylor. Like he, he does his work every day. He's really diligent about his job, um, and and I do recognize the human part of of taking a leap like he has. Um, on the defensive rotations, I guess throughout the game, but also kind of in particular the, the possessions you mentioned. What do you want to see? You kind of mentioned the things you, you didn't like about what he did. What do you want to see in those? You know, do you want to send help on Paolo? Do you want rotations from others? You know, what what is it? That you well, first and foremost, Taylor can't get beat baseline. Um, if he gets beat baseline, we have a problem. Um, we were helping from the top and trying to show heavy digs on Paolo. Um, we have the freedom to go double team 
if certain things happen. But it all starts with what happens at the point of attack. And, you know, Taylor got a little bit lifted with a couple of fakes and jabs, and that allowed Paolo to get baseline. Um, but in those possessions, you know, we're trying to send the ball towards the middle of the floor where we have all of our help. Um, and so there will be some good learning moments on film. Well, it has, yeah, I mean, it has some limitations for sure um, because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of choices you have to make from a matchup standpoint that um, maybe don't feel good because of the size difference. Um, obviously, in theory, speed should be at your advantage, but um, Speed isn't always the answer defensively in the NBA, especially when the game slows down because it's uh, it, it's hard based on the way, you know, the rules are right now. It's, it's hard defensively because you really can't use your hands. And so body position when you're four inches shorter and 40 pounds lighter than the guy you're guarding, um, you have to be perfect. And so, yeah, in those moments, like we're trying to use our speed and um, – you know, try to, to use high hands as much as we can to discourage some of those over-the-top passes. I think our team is, has given great effort in some of those moments. Um, but, yeah, for sure um, there are some limitations, but that's just the way it is. I think on the other end of the court, we probably give some teams some problems with our speed, and we can be a little tough to guard, especially when we start moving off the ball. So, um, you know, there's there's a little bit of a give and take there. But... Yeah, it's um, it's definitely changed the way that our staff has thought about defense. Um, actually, you know, these last I haven't seen the final numbers from tonight, but based on what I'm looking at, like these last four games have actually been pretty good relative to the rest of the season defensively. Um, you know, we've had to make a few adjustments based on who we've got, but um, the guys are are taking to it and um, you know really giving us a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess there are some rookies that come to the league and be a top pick and can seem like they're too big for the riches. I guess that's what mom would say. Your words, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> but like, is it helpful to coach a guy who's like, yep, I don't know what to do here? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think just kind of in the the way the world works now, feedback is negative a lot, especially publicly. And, you know, as a coach, sometimes you have to really be clear to the players that, like, I'm not another critic. Like, I'm not somebody that's going on TV um, talking trash about you. Like, I'm trying to help you. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to tell you everything you want to hear. Like, part of helping you is telling you the things that you're not doing well and that you have to correct. But Taylor's approach from the very first day he got here um, is that he wants to do whatever we ask him to do and that he trusts us. Um, he trusts that we have his best interest in mind. 
and that our vision is for him to be a big part of our program moving forward, which is the truth. Um, but yeah, he's young and he doesn't have a ton of experience in the NBA and he's put in some positions that he's never been in, um, in any game ever. And so the fact that he has enough humility to recognize he doesn't know everything makes it easy to coach him every day because I don't, um, I don't worry about hurting Taylor's feelings. I know based on the interactions that I've had with him that he understands that my job is to coach him hard and that I'm demanding these things of him because I think he can be really good. Um, and it's my job and our job as a staff to try to help him get there as fast as possible. The flip side of that is I have to recognize that like getting there as fast as possible doesn't mean tomorrow. And so I have to give him some grace at times on like, it's not a habit yet. Just because I've told him once or twice or three times or five times, it doesn't mean that it's a habit yet when the lights come on and it's loud and you're tired and the game's going on. Um, if that was the case, coaching would be a lot easier. Um, but so it's a, it's a balancing act between the two of us. But his approach and attitude is everything you could ask for as a coach. That's Jazz head coach Will Hardy. Let's now move on to the rookie and hear from Taylor Hendricks. It's always, it's always, it's always nice to play back in Florida. So, this is your first time playing here officially as a starter. How did it feel? Uh, I felt great. You know, I mean, in the beginning of the season, I would have never thought I'd be in this position. So, it's a blessing. Taylor, what was the difference uh, down the stretch tonight for you guys? Um, it's just missing shots. I mean, we were getting stops, playing great D, and then, you know, things fell apart a little bit. Uh, uh, going later in the fourth. How many friends and family did you have here? Uh, a lot. I mean, I only had tickets for seven, but uh, there was a lot here tonight. Uh, how far away was, yeah, I could look this up, I guess, but yeah, how far away is it where you to school? Uh, like 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Have you ever played, like, in this building doing, like, high school stuff or anything like that? This building, no. Yeah. No, not in the Magic Arena. Is that kind of surreal for you? I mean, yeah, because I came to a couple games, like, I think like two years ago, I was in um, Markel Fultz's suite because we have the we have the same agent. So, mm -hmm. you know, I was in this suite watching the Magic game. So, and two years later, I'm playing against him. So, it was nice. Thinking about the matchup with Paolo, how did you feel you did first of all? Um, I don't know. I got to look at the film, but you know, just going off you know the game, I feel like I did okay. I mean, I feel like I could have forced him middle a little bit more because he was trying to go baseline. But uh, on the times I did, I feel like you know uh, he turned it over and missed a couple shots. So. I feel like I did all right. When you watch the film, like, what is it in particular you're going to be looking at what you did? Uh, first, just seeing if they scored and then seeing if I, you know, affected the shot at all and, you know, um, got done what I needed to get done as far as the scouting and what coaches uh, emphasizing. When we're talking to Will, uh, just kind of about your development overall, he said that as he's coaching you, he feels like he can be pretty hard on you and he knows that he's not going to, like, hurt your feelings. Do you like kind of hard, intense coaching? Yeah, I mean, I welcome it for sure. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty coachable player, and I feel like that makes it a lot easier on the coach and, you know, easier for the team, you know, when you got guys that can listen and take, you know, in any tone. So. Great. Thanks, man. Thanks. Thank you.
That's Taylor Hendricks, 10.7 boards for the rookie, three of six shooting, two of four from three. Uh, but the Jazz fall to the Magic in Orlando, 115 to 107. Jazz back at it coming up tomorrow afternoon. They're in Miami to take on the Heat. That game will tip off at three. Pre-game coverage begins at two. Coming up next, more DJ and PK. There's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, Scotty G is talking Aggie hoops. Next, stay with us. You can say hi to Scotty G right now. Hi, Scotty G. Hey, how are you? Excellent. How are you? I never better. Awesome. <laughs> you have a Friday game coming up. You're going to have a Saturday off. That's a rarity for you in this six-month stretch. What are you going to do with all this free time? What are you going to do with yourself? Sauce. He had last Saturday off. More yeah, sauce. No, back, back to back Saturday. Yeah, with the bye last week. Yeah, we'll take it. Absolutely. Get reacquainted with the family. I don't know if they're too overly thrilled with that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, no, it'd be great. Can't complain at all. Well, in, in about three weeks on a Friday, you'll be able to get reacquainted with the family for the next six months. So it's no big deal. <laughs> I love it. A little storm cloud coming through as always. Look. <laughs> hey, I listened to you at JJ and Alex. And uh, do you think the Bulls with Jordan had any chance to beat Air Force? Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? I uh, after going to the pit and getting a win, I'm like, wow, maybe maybe they are a problem. I don't know, man. This conf- this conference is so jacked up. It's it's just I don't know if it means it's a really good conference or if it's just uh, a conference with a bunch of teams that are pretty good that can lose anybody or beat anybody. But uh, you know, it's just. It's a weird year, man. It's just been kind of fun to sit back and watch everybody just kind of cannibalize themselves. You think the conference is it's a weird? I mean, after listening to you, I thought you were getting paid by the Mountain West. Well, I get paid by the game. So <laughs> as uh, so if I can string together as many games as possible, that's 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 my number one concern. So uh, but no, I mean, I look, I think it's a great I mean, I think it's a really good conference with really good players. And for the most part, teams that just don't lose at home. Now, I know I just talked about the Air Force going to the pit and getting a win, but uh, it's really hard to win on the road in this conference. And and more often than not, you've got some, you know, you got some really good players. New Mexico's got some really good players. UNLV, you know, you go down the list. There's some individual players that are really good in this conference. Now, look, you know, like I'll just take what you're going to say, PK, and just and just get it out of the way right now. I could see all these teams not having tremendous amount of success in March. I know San Diego State did their run, but other than that, usually Mountain West Conference teams are one and done in the conference or in the NCAA tournament. And if that happens again this year, then that's a that's another black eye for the Mountain West. So are the Aggies at twenty three and five a really good team, or is this being done with mirrors, chewing gum? I mean, we all know the cliches: hairspray, rubber bands holding this thing together. It's all duct taped well, together I mean, with miracle victories along the way. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they, they should have lost to UNLV. They had that uh, miraculous five-point play that got them a win in UNLV. They got the uh, the tip out on the missed free throw against Boise State that they were able to get a layup in as time expired to send that game into overtime. And then, of course, you got Darius Brown who banked in a three 
uh, on the road against Fresno, a game that they should have lost. I mean, even Danny Sprinkle said in the postgame, he's like, yeah, you know what? We should have lost that game. They they played better. They probably deserved that game more than we did. And he's right. I, I mean, it's just, you know, there's those weird years where things just kind of go your way, and Utah State's in the middle of that kind of season right now. And, and look, I don't know how it's going to end. I do know that, look, great Osibor is an elite big man in college basketball. He can finish with the right, can finish with the left hand. I mean, there's a lot of great things he can do. But Utah State still is a 31, 32% three-point shooting team. I mean, they don't shoot the ball particularly well. Uh, but, you know, when it gets down in crunch time, they're making plays. So I think a lot of us, even the coaching staff, is looking at the team going, I'm not exactly sure how they're doing this. But they're doing it because you look at the, uh, you know, you look at the individual parts on this team, and there's there's some issues. They turn the ball over too much. They're not a good free throw shooting team at times. Um, you know, they're 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 a dismal three point shooting team, but yet they're winning games. So yeah, I can't seem to figure it out. Coaching staff can't seem to figure it out, but it's been a hell of a run. I think I can figure it out, though. You got Osibor, who's a junior. You got Martinez, who's a senior. You got Brown, who's a senior. And I realize they were all together new and all that stuff, but they're coming from varied backgrounds where they played a fair amount. And they're good players, obviously. They're very good players. I have no problem saying that. And then you augment them with uh, some younger guys, uh, false F. I mean, chronologically, he'd be a little older, I think. He served a mission, right? Mm -hmm. And he had the red shirt. So uh, I realize he's just a freshman, but, you know, chronologically he is. And to me, there's a fair amount of experience. It was new in the beginning, which is why they were picked ninth, which, you know, seems ridiculous now, obviously. But when you look at guys, they had a fair amount of playing time and certainly have been in programs that helped them get to this point. To me, I think that's the number one reason is they got good players who've been around the block. Yeah, and I mean, you're right. You look at the D1 experience, and they're right up there, I think, top 35 in the country in players. And you got a point guard in Darius Brown who's four years older than Keontae George. So, yeah, yeah I mean, look, yeah. there's the, the, the experience factor is real, but Darius Brown wasn't doing this at Montana State. Um, great Osborne didn't start last year for Montana State. Like and so, yeah, they've got experience, but they weren't doing what they were doing last year. Yeah, but neither neither was Jimmer Fredette early in his career. Yeah, I know, but these guys are seniors. I mean, right? And by the time Jimmer was a senior, look what he did. Now that's an extreme example. I'm just saying there there's something to be said for progressing along a timeline. These guys are doing it at different schools, and a guy like Martinez has bounced around uh, to multiple three places, right? But the, the natural progression is if you stick it out, you should be better. These guys yeah. have not stuck it out at their individual schools and with the Montana guys, state guys, just because obviously the, the coach and they followed them and all that. Uh, but it's it's not – it's a surprise that they're this good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that it's not that. But I've seen so many guys over the years – BYU and Dave Rose would do that very well. By the time guys got to their third and fourth years – they were really good. Keeney Young, who didn't do jack early, ends up being Mountain West Player of the Year by the time he's a senior, uh, to take it as an high example. So I can see where these guys have gotten better over the course of their year to year to year to year type thing. 
So in the course of this conversation, you just went from Utah State being a first-round bounce to now being a Final Four team. So that's... that's uh, no, that's... I would say Final Two. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> At this level in the Mountain West... Yeah, no, I better than we anticipated no, I, by far. Osibor way better than we anticipated. But you look at that body, you look at that size, and you look at that experience. Okay, it's not out of the realm. No, no, it's not out of the realm. I just I don't think that anybody could have. Now, obviously, nobody in the right mind could have projected this. But I don't right, know if anybody right. even projected this team would be. Uh, playing on Thursday in the Mountain West Conference tournament and not having to play a first-round game. Um, oh, yeah, in October? I'm to- I totally see it. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Everything was brand new. We, no one had any idea how it would come. Now Sprinkle yeah. is the runaway coach of the year and maybe national coach of the year. And, yeah. and he's going to do and well in the Big 12 next year. Uh, I'd, say more, uh, I'd say more Big 10. Where's Washington <laughs> going to be next year? Yeah, Big, Big 10. 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we, before we worry about next year, with five teams separated by one game, can you handicap the conference tournament that is almost upon us? No, no, not at all. Be, and, and because you have teams that any – all right, so let's just go down the list. You got Utah State certainly can win the tournament. You got Boise State who could certainly win the tournament. You got San Diego State obviously can win the tournament. Um, and then Adam? you go down to – Colorado State, who can easily win this tournament. Nevada can win this tournament. UNLV with the stupid Rebels chant that you'll hear over and over. They can win the yeah, tournament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean this, this, this is from top to bottom. And, I, you know, look, PK, you covered that conference, yeah. you know, back in the day. I don't know if there's been a year. I know certainly in my seven years of calling games in this, in this, turn, or in this conference, I've never seen it where you've got – Right. legitimately seven yeah. teams that can win the conference tournament. Now, look, Colorado State a week and a half ago was a top 25 team. They were nationally ranked. They're, there's a good chance they're playing on Wednesday to start the tournament. Yeah, They don't get a first-round bye. I mean, that's, that's, that's absurd that they're in that situation, but that's just where this conference is. And, and, and frankly, it's been a selling point for Danny Sprinkle and this team being like, hey, look, yeah, you're number one right now. You know, if the season ended, you'd be regular season champs. You'd be the one seed. But guess what? We, uh, if you stumble, which they, almost, which they should have done against Fresno, if they stumble at San Jose or if they lose to Air Force, then guess what? It can all come crashing down immediately. Uh, in, because everybody's just bunched up there near the top. It's, it, it's been a rallying cry for these guys, and uh, it didn't keep them focused the other night against Fresno, but you certainly hope it will be the case against uh, Air Force and, uh, and San Jose. Uh, yeah, I think at worst they only lose one more game, but I think they'll win out. But the great thing about it for them, they don't have to go to Vegas and do anything. They'll be fine. They'll get a decent seed in the NCAA tournament. They've already proven. And as far as your conference goes, yeah, I'm not sure there's a superpower at the top like we had with Utah, uh, uh, but uh, for, for in, in the Mountain West and, and in back going back to the WAC uh, or maybe uh, San Jose State or BYU, but the depth of the conference is outstanding. It's yeah, and it and it doesn't and it doesn't need to politic. You know, we were talking about this the other day. 
the the BYU media for the last 13 years. The West Coast Conference really isn't that bad. It doesn't suck as bad as you think, right? Well, now no one's saying that at BYU. They've got they don't they don't read the, that storyline is out the out the door. To me, nobody needs to sell the Mountain West on how good it is this year. It speaks for itself. Yeah, and it's been it's been fun to watch. Now, again, back to our previous point, they've got to back that up with wins in the NCAA tournament. Well, you know, whether it's Utah State or you know, San Diego State certainly did their part last year, but, you know, they get five teams in the tournament last year, and everybody's one and done. They get four teams in the year before, everybody's one and done. Right, again, right. outside of what San Jose State did, which was – or San Diego State did, which was awesome. But, again, they've got to make a – they've got to make a bigger mark. There's, there's just no doubt. They've got to be better in that regard. And in I terms think of they have games. at least two or three teams that will be in the round of 32. I would certainly hope that's the case. And again, I get paid by the game, so that'd be nice. If, uh, <laughs> so you're in favor of a deep NIT run, which isn't going to happen. The team's no, overachieved. No, 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 they're not going in. I know. <laughs> the no. team's overachieved. Those three games Scotty listed for us earlier, the difference between 11 and 4 and 8 and 7, they could be right there with CSU. But there since, you go. But yep. since you say that, Scotty, and because Aggie fans, I mean, you know the history as well as anyone, one turning win in 50 years. What does this team have? that maybe other teams didn't have that could lead to an NCAA tournament win? Or is it this is a lot of fun and you get to the NCAA tournament and then it's one and done again, which makes Aggie fans shudder? Well, I do think what what this team has that you don't – like last year's team, and I told you, you know, I came on the air before they played Missouri, and I said, look, if they're not shooting threes, they're done. And I think they started out that game like – one of 12 from three and Missouri beats them up and wins by double digits because I mean that what we're seeing at BYU, uh, I love schematically what they're doing, but again, if they're not shooting their threes, they could be them. They, you know, they get themselves in trouble really quickly as we saw like against Kansas state. Um, and, and that's how Utah state was built last year uh, more so than BYU. I think BYU has got more options to kind of adjust throughout a game if uh, if they're not hitting their threes. Utah State was just strictly live or die by the three. When you've got an elite big man who has a back-to-the-basket game like great Osibor, uh, and you don't necessarily have to be hitting outside shots, I think that you've got a chance, especially when you get up against an NCAA tournament team that uh, doesn't necessarily know you or has scouted you well and you know may not know how to bring a double team against him because – Right now, Austin Moore is the kind of guy, if you get him one-on-one in the post and he has good position, he will finish, and you're going to look silly because he can. he's got so many moves um, down low that, that he's just difficult to beat. So that's an element. If you took great Austin Moore and put him on last year's Utah State team, uh, you'd have yourself a an elite team. Uh, if you took any of Utah State three-point shooters and put them on this year's team, if you know Stephen Ashworth sticks around, Utah State's a really dangerous team at this point, but I do like the ability. I do like the fact that they've got an opportunity with a guy, with a guy in particular, and then other guys that can help out that can get you high percentage shots from two, and that should be able to keep you in a lot of games against some high level teams. There's no worry there. They they've got three really good guards. Uh, Brown is a clutch player. And then you got Falsef who's shooting 56%, and you got Martinez who's shooting 48%. Now the latter two, uh, Brown and or Brown and Falsef, and they're, they're, Falsef not the great three-point shooter, but he can run an offense fairly well. He's got a nice physical presence to him. 
Martinez can score. He could score when he was at Utah 10 years ago. And uh, you you saw him, okay, this kid's a player, and then, you know, they leave and all that stuff. And Brown is Brown's a big-time player. He, can, he has no fear. He can make shots. It's fun to watch him play. That three that he banked in, yeah, the idiot uh, Fresno guy decides to jump for some reason, and then he jumps to his left, and, uh, to Brown's left and not his right, and he makes that shot. This, this guy is... A clutch player. I don't think there's any question about that. I'm not talking about them running to the Elite Eight or any of that stuff. I'm talking about them winning a game in the NCAA tournament. At this point, I would, unless they got some crappy, crappy seed or somebody, Jerry McNamara for Syracuse goes over, goes for 45 like he did against BYU in that first round several years back. I expect them to be in the round of 32 because they have the nucleus and the ingredients to succeed in any tournament that they're in. There you go, folks. I like it. Let's go. Yeah. I just want I want a BYU Utah State second round game in Salt Lake. That's not that's not too much to ask for, is it? Uh, it would be. Yeah, it would be awesome. Um, we love storylines and right across the street. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Selection selection committee loves their storyline. Family on three. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're uh, really slotted for that, though. They're going to have to get deeper before they – because aren't they both going to be in that, like, 5, 6, 7 range right now? Don't you think that's where you, where they're headed? Yeah, yeah, I know. 5 through Look, 8. I, we'll say that. 5 through 8. Yeah, yeah. Unless so, they both yeah, slip well, up and end up in an 8-9 game. But they both I, have to lose. Yeah, I don't I, – I think, I think Utah State certainly is – in a situation where I, I agree with PK, I think they're in. But you know, if they drop a game, one of these next two games against, you know, a quad three or a quad four team, and they're a quick exit from the Mountain West tournament, they could certainly slip down into that eight, nine, ten range pretty quickly. If, uh, if yeah, but if that's not going to happen. They're going to lose the, those, these teams suck. Fresno, oh do you, they, you do this? Well, they do. They do. <clears throat> They do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they should have lost to Fresno, who's the worst of the three teams they're going to play. Yeah, but where was that game? In Fresno. Right. And where and are these games? Go home and then you play at San Jose, which oh. is going to be the same situation where you got no. 30 people there. You got no <laughs> You had 3,000 in Fresno. You did not. There was not 3,000 people in Fresno. I counted them. <laughs> Twice. Uh, I, I, I could sit from where I was at and I counted. I barely got to like 400 at tip-off. Were you hearing like individual conversations when you went to commercial oh, yeah, break? Yeah, that, and there's really not, there's nothing more uncomfortable than when a guy walks up to the scores table and you're like, "Well, you know, my Mason Falslev has uh, started the game one of seven from the field." And Mason looks <laughs> up like, "And I can hear you." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. Sorry about that." But you know. I was really hoping Fresno won because we'd finally have a court storming in which there'd be no controversy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, but a week or two ago, there was some team that won, and like one guy, yeah, one yeah, guy yeah. walked on the court. That was awesome. I, it was it Mississippi kind of, Valley? Kind of wandered out there, looked around, <laughs> walked back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was fun. Before you go, who's going to take the first snap at quarterback in the game one for the Aggies? Uh, the kid from Iowa. Uh, that, oh, you know, dumping you know, on the pig farmer. Uh, pig farmer is going to be third. I still can't figure out why. I mean, it's depth, and I understand. But if 
if uh, Barnes thinks he's going to go up there and be the starter on week one, I think he's highly mistaken right now. Uh, you got Cooper Lagaz already put together in a fairly impressive body of work. And then the kid from Iowa, I think, is far and away probably one of the more talented players they've had there in quite some time. So, yeah, I, I think Barnes has a real high, um, you know, he, he's got a lot of work to do to try to break into that rotation. Great. What am I going to do with my pig farmer shirt? I know. Like, the jokes write themselves. You go to Utah State as a pig farmer? I mean, come on. I get it. I understand it. But uh, uh, I just uh, I just don't see it's going to ha- I don't see it happening. Scotty G, we appreciate it. Enjoy your back-to-back Saturdays off, and uh, we will talk to you again around NCAA tournament time. How about that? Maybe even in Vegas, just to, just to mess with you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Thanks, Scotty G. We appreciate it. We'll see you. DJ PK and Scott Gerard, you're hearing from noon to three right here on The Zone. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines on the way.